0: Good morning, guys. Good morning, church. You guys can have a seat. My name is Stephen. Uh, I serve as the lead pastor for... uh Point Church in Federal Way, and uh, it is so glad, it's such a privilege and honor for me to be back here with you guys. Uh, So excited, if you don't know, I was uh, a church planter in residence here for two years before leaving a couple months ago uh, to go start uh, an expression of God's church in Federal Way, and uh, today is actually a really, really, really big day in the life of our church. Um, It is the day that we get to stop and thank God for all that He has done. We're gonna have a prayer and and building dedication service at three o'clock uh, at our building. That's mostly remodeled. Um, it is currently actually like at this moment there is a team that is putting down flooring. Uh, they're, they're putting the glue down and putting the, the the carpet squares and the tile down and all of those things and uh, hopefully they get the lights installed that I asked them to install or it's going to be pretty dark and uh, soon we'll be moving chairs in and, and putting up a, a portable sound system because that didn't come in on time, and uh, you know just all the wonderful things that uh, that have to happen uh, in order just to bring people together. But uh, we it, we were supposed to in, in in my plans we were supposed to be launching this Sunday, um, and God made that pretty clear uh, a couple months ago that that was not going to happen. Uh, and I say He made it clear. Uh, first, everything about the building wasn't going to be done, uh, and I still thought we could do it. And then all of my mentors and, and people around me said, hey, you probably shouldn't do this. And I was like, no, nah, I think we're still going to do it. Uh, and so it, it took uh, many, 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 many signs from the Lord uh, that we should probably delay. But I, what I wanted to do is stop in the middle of the work that God is doing and say thank you, because whether that building gets done or not, he's still worthy of praise. Whether people fill that place or not, he's still worthy to be worshiped. Um, And so we're gonna do it. And I don't know what the building's gonna look like. I was there at 7.30 uh, this morning and they were working and putting down flooring and had a lot more done than I thought. So we might have what looks like a finished building when I get back. It won't be finished, but it might look like it. Uh, So we're really excited uh, about that. And uh, would extend the invitation to all of you as well. We are trying to pack that place with prayer. Uh, so if you're interested, you can come see me. I can give you the address. We'd love to see you guys at 3 o'clock. If not, we really would love for you to even just pray with us wherever you are. At 3 o'clock, we'll just pray together and, uh, and thank God because he's so worthy. He's so worthy. So uh, that, that was my update. Uh, now we can dive into uh, what God has for us today. So guys, th- this year I did something that I thought I would never, ever do. I binge-watched all of Gilmore Girls. Okay, I've heard about Gilmore Girls for a long time. Like, people are like, you gotta watch this show. And I was like, eh, I don't know, whatever. And then a podcast I was listening to talked about it a lot. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll watch that. And and right now, as I say it, some of you are judging me. Like, I know that you are. uh, And you're all judging me for different reasons. Some like, why would he waste his life watching Gilmore Girls? Like, I don't know why I would do that, but I did. So it's a choice I made. Uh, Some of you are judging because uh, Gilmore Girls probably doesn't fit the manly exterior that you see in front of you. Uh, Some of you are just judging judging me that I watch trash television? And all of those are valid reasons. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with anything that you're saying. Uh, and there's probably a million other reasons that you could also uh, judge me. But, um, but before we dive in, I just want to say uh, that even though he was a terrible human, Logan was Rory's best boyfriend, Jess was a jerk, and uh, and Dean was super whiny. So I said what I said. I'm going to move on now. Now, what does that have to do with uh, the gospel? Uh, the answer is absolutely nothing. Um, uh, and But uh, they have a theme song, and the theme song has one lyric that would get stuck in my head over and over and over again. It would get stuck in my head so much that at random times, I would just sing out this lyric, uh, and, and it would be because it had like, filled up my head so much that I had to like release the lyric into the air so I could have more space in my head, and the lyric is, uh, Where you lead, I will follow Anywhere that you want me to, and I would just—that's the only lyric I knew actually to the song. Um, sorry, Carol King. Um, sorry, but like I didn't—that's like the only lyric I remembered—and uh, I would say it all the time. So, uh, so the, your question probably is again, what does Carol King have to do with the gospel? And I'm really glad that you asked because it gets me back on track. So, um, the really, it has nothing to do other than today's passage is all about going. Today's passage is about Jesus inviting us to go where he leads, and so the question that I want all of us to be asking as we go through this passage today is, is your heart's desire, is your heart's cry, I will go where you, I will follow anywhere that you want me to? Because honestly, as we work through this today, if we look at our own hearts, we can probably agree that it's not really true. There are some things that we'll do, maybe not anything. And the gospel really has something to say about that. So we will be uh, in Luke, the book of Luke, in chapter 9. Luke is the, uh, in, in the New Testament of your Bible. So if you have that, I'd love for you to open it up. It's about three-fourths of the way through. You've got Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's, three, there's our, uh, four biographies of Jesus that we call the gospel's And they just kind of tell the story of how this whole Jesus thing got started. And it's really awesome. Um, And and so we'll be in in chapter 9. And uh, today's passage really is is just about going. And so verse 1 says this. Summoning the 12, he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. He sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for the road, he told them. No staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, and don't take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they don't welcome you when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So essentially, in Stephen's condensed version, what Jesus says is go and build the kingdom. And and guys, they weren't ready to go build the kingdom. They were not theologically astute, they were not trained well, and they might not have even been fully convinced of everything that this Jesus guy was saying. But they went anyway. Jesus empowered them, he gave them authority, which is something that these guys probably never had or never would have experienced in their daily life. These were ordinary men, but they were given extraordinary authority because they had an extraordinary message. Most of them were from humble backgrounds, but they were given power and authority over sickness and disease and demons. They they must have felt like Peter Parker after he had that uh, radioactive spider bite, right? Like all of a sudden, they can do all of these things. But unlike the amazing Spider-Man, their power wasn't wasn't given inside of them. Their power and authority came from an extraordinary savior. They had a message that they carried that God had come to reconcile humanity to himself. Messiah had come to fix humanity's deepest brokenness. And this message was so extraordinary, but it actually meant very little if it wasn't brought to a hurting and broken world. It wouldn't matter to those who didn't know that the Messiah had come to defeat sin and death. If they never heard about it, It didn't matter to them. The kingdom Jesus established here on earth was coming, and it needed to be built, and people needed to hear about it. So Jesus sent them. And he sent them out because a call to build the kingdom is a call to go. This wasn't a kingdom that would be walled off to keep people out. No, this was a kingdom that would expand, and it would radically change everything that it touched. For some reason, Jesus entrusted that authority, that responsibility to 12 ordinary men. And through his Holy Spirit, he entrusted that responsibility and authority to us. This was the beginning of our call to go into all the world and make disciples. Paul, who was the first Christian church planter, would write this to a church that he planted in a place called Corinth. So he said that it is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. He committed this message of reconciliation to who? To you and to me. We are called here ambassadors. You know what ambassadors do? They go. They cannot be an ambassador in their own country. They have to leave the kingdom that they're a part of and go into a kingdom that they don't know, they, don't, they aren't a part of, and tell those in the kingdom what their kingdom would do. It's what an ambassador does, right? We are called to be ambassadors of the kingdom of light, we get to go to the kingdom of darkness. We get to tell them about the kingdom that God built. But We can't do this in rows on Sunday mornings. We cannot leave a hurting and broken world to figure out for themselves how to get to this kingdom. You see, we know the difference that the gospel makes. We know the difference that Jesus makes in all of life. And now it's our job to go and tell the world about it. And it doesn't have to be complicated, it doesn't have to be formulaic, it doesn't have to have a great strategy, and it doesn't have to to be a certain way, but it has to happen. You and I, if we've stepped over the line of faith, are tasked with telling others about the kingdom of God, how it can change their life, how it can change their family, how it can change their heart, and how to get to it. But to do this, we have to go into the world. We have to be around those who don't yet believe, and we have to open our mouths, and we have to be bold. We need to be planting churches and going on foreign missions, and we need to be turning our workspaces and our play spaces into arenas for us to proclaim the gospel. We can't accomplish this in our churches because kingdoms aren't built by rearranging bricks, but by adding new ones. Can we be honest in this contest? Or in this context, sorry, lost people don't often walk into our services. They just don't. Hurting and broken people, yes, I am one of them. They who come looking for a savior. But we live in a place where a Sunday braced approach just isn't going to penetrate our communities like it might other places. People aren't driving around looking for a place to know about Jesus. I love when churches grow by adding in their numbers, however it happens. I love when when disciples find a new church community to be a part of. However, moving bricks from one place to another isn't building the kingdom. It's not accomplishing our directive. As a church planner, I'm keenly aware of this fact. It's very hard for me to think, uh, it's it's not very hard, really, uh, for me to think of all the ways that I would like church to be. I could build a church just like that, but then I have to remember, it's not about me. It's not even about other people who know Jesus. It's about those who don't know him yet. That's why we plant churches. That's why I do what we do. In fact, my entire model would be different if I was just trying to build a place that's comfortable for people to come and worship. But I'm building a place for people to come and know Jesus and find out about him. We plant churches because we know that they can transform communities. We know that the gospel can help heal the deep wounds that our society has with the only thing that can heal them, Jesus. Because you see the healing and the gospel go hand in hand. When the gospel is fully realized, we become more like Jesus and then our communities become thriving and healthy and our family units are restored and made whole. And and when the kingdom is fully realized, there is no fighting. There is no strife, there are no orphans, there are no impoverished people, there are no prisoners. The gospel brings healing wherever it goes and to whatever it touches. And God has not only entrusted us with it, but he's given us the honor and the responsibility to take it to others. Imagine what it would look like if when we brought churches into a community, the entire community changed. I want you to listen to the instructions that Jesus gave to the disciples. This is from another perspective, from the perspective of a man named Matthew on this story. He said, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you received, freely you received give. Guys, what if that was what we did? What if we looked at our mission? What if we looked at what God has called us to do and gifted us with the gospel and said, I know that it changes hearts. And when you change hearts, you change communities. Poverty, divorce, the breakdown of the family unit, the breakdown of society, all of the things all point to one thing, the deep brokenness of the human heart. So does it seem simple that the gospel fixes everything? It seems simple, but it's not. But it's also the answer. Because whole people make whole families. Whole families make whole communities. And whole communities change the world. The problem is, so often, we come and we gather. And the gospel doesn't penetrate our communities. It penetrates us, but it doesn't penetrate out of our walls. What if we went about this into every neighborhood? What if the gospel truly wasn't something we celebrated on Sunday and then forgot about on Monday? What if it was something that was so deeply ingrained in every nucleotide of our DNA that actually went about our days? We went about our days healing and and making people whole, and we built the kingdom. We built the kingdom reconciled heart by reconciled heart. Church, I want to challenge you because with verse 6, Jesus sent these guys, these ordinary men, with very little, and then he took away even what little they did have. He said, Don't take bread, don't take money, don't even take a change of clothes. Take nothing and go. So he had a little and he gave them less, but they went. They went knowing that they could be rejected. They went knowing that they may be run out of town. They, they went knowing that they would be hated. But they did it anyway. No matter the convenience factor, no matter the hardship it would, would cause, they just went. And verse 6 is, so they went out and traveled from, the, from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. They just did it. They didn't know how. They didn't have books to read. They had listened to one preacher for the last year and a half. But they went, and they did it. And you know what happens when they did it? You know what happens when we carry the kingdom of light into the kingdom of darkness? People notice. They notice because Jesus makes a difference in all of life. Preaching the gospel and building the kingdom will not go unnoticed. We see that in our story today in verse 7, because the passage goes on to say this, Herod the Tetrarch heard about everything that was going on. He was perplexed, because some said that John had been raised from the dead, some that Elijah had appeared, and others that one of the ancient prophets had risen. Beheaded John, Herod said, but who is this I hear such things about? And he wanted to see him. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. He took them along, withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out, they followed him. He welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and healed those who needed healing. As there was a reason that the religious leaders went after Jesus. There was a reason that kings and governors wanted to know about him and were interested in him. As the gospel is proclaimed, people take notice because it is powerful. When we use the gospel to heal broken hearts and broken families and broken communities, people will take notice, and the name of Jesus will become famous. I promise you that. Getting people to notice Jesus isn't really that hard. Getting people to follow him, on the other hand, that's a different story. See, when everyone got all excited about all these miracles that were happening, when, when, Jesus, when they saw that the disciples were transforming communities, everybody wanted to come and know Jesus. They flocked to him, they crowded him. They forced him to talk more about this kingdom that he was building. And then, as, as I can imagine, like Jesus was, was, you know, a master communicator, so he's bringing everybody together, and he's, he's telling all these things about the kingdom, and everyone's saying, yes, I love that, yes, I love that, yes, the poor in spirit will become rich, and all of these things. He's so excited, and then Jesus drops this truth bomb, and, and, and really, he's got it locked and loaded because he knows the kingdom is attractive, but living in it is hard. And just a little later on in this chapter, he says in verse 23, then he said to all of them, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. In other words, Jesus was saying that comfort-seeking and cross-carrying cannot coexist. There is not a less comfortable thing that Jesus could have said. There is not something that Jesus could have said that would have made him less popular right here. He has probably the largest crowd in front of him that he had in his ministry up to that point. And to invite them into the kingdom, he says you must die. You must carry a cross. For those of us that know about the Roman cross, the Roman cross was the most humiliating and excruciating death that could be given at that time. It was for traitors, it was for enemies of the state. It was reserved for the worst of the worst. And Jesus is saying, you know what following me looks like? That. He's inviting those to follow him to die to themselves for the sake of his kingdom, to put aside building their kingdom so that his could reign. Comfort-seeking and cross-carrying cannot coexist. It's impossible. Now, some of you might say that, well, this was just meant for the disciples, right? This was Jesus talking straight to the disciples and and so this was just kind of a description of what happened. And and I really wanna have a question if that's your thought. Are you looking for ways to get out of what the Bible describes and says? Or are you looking to the Bible to shape every single thing that you do? You see, when when we choose to accept the grace that Jesus has extended to us, every decision becomes a gospel decision because every decision should be informed and shaped by what we know of Jesus. Because as I've said multiple times, and as we've said at the Hallows hundreds of thousands of times, we are discovering the difference that Jesus makes in how much of life? All of life. But to even go further than that, I want to introduce you to two hermeneutical laws. So hermeneutics is a really fancy, highbrow way of saying how to study the Bible. We have these two laws that we, that we kind of live by as we study the Bible and, and we try to apply it. One is that we use the clear to determine and clear up the unclear. Right? If something is unclear in Scripture, which there is a lot, Jesus sometimes intentionally talked confusingly. So we use the clear, what is very clear in Scripture, to interpret the unclear. The other is that if the literal sense makes sense, there is no other sense. If, if what we're reading, we can go do, there's no reason to read into it anymore, that's what Jesus meant. So, so here we have Jesus calling us to build the kingdom. What does that mean? I don't know. I have no clue what building the kingdom means because I know that he draws people to himself, that it's his kingdom and it's a kingdom we can't see. I don't really know what building the kingdom looks like or what it means. What I do know, what is clear, is that to do that, the disciples had to go and they had to preach the gospel. So I'm using what's unclear. I'm seeing what's clear, and I'm saying, well, I guess building the kingdom is going and preaching the gospel in some way. And then that second law where if the literal sense makes sense, there is no other sense, if it makes sense to literally go into communities and preach the gospel and, and see people healed and reconciled, why don't we just do it? There's no other sense. There's no more that we need to read in. That's just what Jesus is telling us to do. I don't know how the kingdom is built, but I do know that when people come to know Jesus, Jesus is glorified. And I know that I want to do the things that Jesus called us to do, and it looks like this is what Jesus is calling us to do. So if literally going into communities and seeing them transformed is what this passage is telling us, let's just do it. See, the power doesn't rest in us going. The power rests in the one who sent us. We are ordinary people entrusted with an extraordinary message about an extraordinary Savior. And that's what transforms communities. But we've got to go because it means nothing to them if they don't know about it. See, when Jesus came, he knew his mission. He knew that he was sent from the Father for really one reason, to suffer and to die. He knew that he would be disgraced, humiliated, and hated, and that he would be killed on a cross. And even worse than all of that, he knew that he would take the punishment of my sin and all of our sin on himself. Paul, in that letter to the Corinthians, ends that passage this way. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As followers of Christ, we really love the eternal life part of being reconciled with God. We really like the resurrection piece, right? Death coming to life. We're super pumped about it. But the same Paul would write that if we don't, re- if we don't identify with Jesus in his death, then we can't identify with Jesus in his life and his resurrection, and death to comfort is one of those deaths that I think we need to identify with him in. It's hard. I do not share my faith as I should. I don't spend all of my, you know, my I didn't really spend a lot of time making my, my play spaces and my work spaces arenas for the gospel. And that's something that I've got to work on because it seems like that's what Jesus is calling us to do. It seems like the gospel, if the gospel is true, that there's an urgency that we just kind of miss. If we knew that the answer to our broken homes, our broken communities, our broken city was Jesus, was truly Jesus, that he could truly transform our communities, it feels like maybe we'd be a little more urgent. And I'm speaking with to me, I'm not casting a stone to you. Are we willing to die to our kingdoms in order to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Are we willing to go? Wherever he leads, I will follow. I want that to be our heart's cry. Because really, there's nothing else that's worth it. All things will pass away but his kingdom will remain forever.